Avante, thank you so much. A perfect introduction to this new worship series. Uh, what is a prophet? We'll be asking that question a lot over the next four weeks. And not to be confused with a fortune teller or someone who pinpoints and says, this is going to happen. I was, uh, prior to full-time ministry, I was in a career in commercial real estate, and there's lots of conferences related to that. At those conferences, there would be panels, and the experts would sit one after the other, and a moderator would ask questions, and these experts would predict what might happen or uh, talk to uh, industry trends and things like that. Now, one uh, conference that I recall was shortly after the financial crash of 2008, sometime around 2009, 2010. And the question that was asked was, when is this going to end? They wanted a very specific answer, right? So the first one didn't want to answer the question and talked around, well, when the banks can do X, Y, Z and when this happens, and the second one talked about the government, and if the government could just do something. The third one, I don't even remember what he said. And the fourth one, who happened to be my business partner, listened to all of that, took the microphone, pulled it up to his mat, pulled it up to his mouth, and said, "June fifteenth, two thousand eleven." It's ludicrous sometimes, isn't it, that we expect people to say, this is going to happen, but that's not what a prophet is. A prophet tells us the truth about what is happening and consequences that could happen afterwards. We start this worship series called Radicals, and we'll be emphasizing and sharing stories from four different prophets from the Bible, and then connecting those Bible prophet messages to uh, current modern-day prophets. So let's start with an understanding of what prophets are. Biblical prophets are those who had a radical experience with God. Sometimes that's explained in the Bible, sometimes it's not, and were commissioned to speak on God's behalf. They point out the truths that are occurring, have occurred, and usually that has something to do with our relationship with God, with society's relationship with God, something has run amok, right? The traditional prophets usually communicate three objectives. They point out the breakdown. Look what's happening, people. They call for a change, and then they make people aware of consequences that might happen. I say traditional prophets, traditional biblical prophets, because every prophet's witness is a different story at a different time in a different place, a different story for themselves and a different story for the people. From the Hebrew Bible or from the New Testament, with lots of detail and sometimes just one sentence, prophets have different stories that they are addressing. So today I'd like to look at one particular prophet that you probably have heard of, you may have heard of, the prophet Micah. Reading verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us what's going on here. 
It tells us who Micah is and what is being called. The Lord's word that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Judah's king Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. 8th century BCE, during Ahaz and Hezekiah's reign, importantly, during the fall of the northern kingdom in 722. The context of Micah's prophecy and the prophet Micah's um, calling out is in the first, uh, is in the 8th century BCE. In the first half of this century, you might call it the Gilded Age, the Golden Age. Solomon had uh, David had passed, Solomon had, had passed, and there's all this uh, glory and golden and wealth going on. But Solomon died around 930 BCE, and then Israel split into the northern and southern kingdom because of this infighting that was going on. Assyria came into power and conquered the northern kingdom, that was in 722, and the, the uh, capital city of Samaria. So when we reference in chapter 1-1 that Micah is talking about Samaria, we have reference there of what is happening. Samaria is or has fallen. Judah actually avoided that fate of being captured. The southern kingdom was, uh, was still whole. Thankfully, Jerusalem held at the time. Some of the areas outside of Jerusalem had, had uh, crumbled in, in, their, uh, in, in this warring time. Um, Jerusalem wasn't demolished, but pressure continued, and Judeans faced this loss of independence and corruption from religious leaders, both from Assyria and around the area, and foreign powers were being in, uh, were, were pressuring and trying to incorporate other practices into the region. Can you feel all this pressure coming around the southern Judean area? Seeing what's happened, Michael, Micah answers this call from God. He's from this small rural town called Moresheth, the southwest of Jerusalem, just very small. So he identifies with the rural community, with the poor and the oppressed, and he knows what's going on outside of that city of Jerusalem. He has an understanding of his call, and that understanding is an anger at the Judean leaders and that he felt he needed to hold them responsible for Jerusalem's eventual downfall or what might happen. Micah was speaking to hold the leaders accountable to what was happening in Judah. The rich and the powerful were using their influence to further create inequity, this divide between the rich and the poor. What was happening was that there was the, the Assyrians were putting pressure on and they expected a tribute in the form of money who um, they had conquered the northern kingdom, and the poor didn't have that money. A lot of the refugees were flooding into Judah. Is it sounding a little familiar? Yeah. The impending threat of war with Assyria, if anything went wrong, if we made them angry, if we didn't give them their tribute. So the leaders were also building up a military at the expense of helping the poor and the people of Judah. 
So Micah starts his prophetic witness, and he says, hear you peoples, all of you. He's not just talking to one person. He is saying, everyone out there, listen to what God has to say. And I guess in just a really nice way to say it, it's not very pretty. Mountains melting and valleys opening up, and, well, we don't want to hear about that, do we? So let's go ahead and address this right now. Prophets are not fortune tellers. They are truth tellers. Often they used imagery and narrative to get their points across. Come on, even Jesus did that, right? Even Jesus did that in the form of parables. So why would we expect that prophets would be literal word for word as to what is happening? And why is Micah giving us this prophecy right now? Why is he proclaiming? We hear that in the fifth verse. All of this for the crime of Jacob and the sins of the house of Israel. Who is responsible for the crime of Jacob? Isn't it Samaria? Who is responsible for the shrines of Judah? Isn't it Jerusalem? He's speaking to the entire nation, both north and south. And he's angry that, um, that the wealthy are exploiting the poor. In verse 2-2, he talks about they covet the fields and they seize them. The houses, they take them away. They oppress householder and house. The people lose their inheritance. Micah calls that out and says, this is wrong. Not us, they say, the leaders of Judah. And I say, yeah, keep saying that. The leaders that he's talking to are political rulers and priests and even false prophets. So yeah, it's a whole lot that Micah's dealing with here. But here's the thing about Micah. We hear both warning and relief. We hear the hope of what can be. And we hear that in three different places. In the middle of all of this social upheaval and greed and power and hungry leaders, right in the middle of that in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, I'll surely gather Jacob, all of you. I'll surely assemble you, those who are left of Israel. I'll put them together like sheep, like a flock in its pen, noisy with people. The one who breaks out will go before them. They will break out and pass through the gate. They will leave it. They will pass on their king before them, the Lord at their head. The promise of the remnant Israel pretty much tells us that it's not going to be like it was. Also tells us that the last word that God has is one of hope. That the shepherd God is still there to gather and comfort and restore the relationship. That death is not the end, not death of land, not death of people, not death of buildings, not even the suffering that is our own fault or imposed on us by others. God's promise is that there will always be comfort and peace in the relationship between God and humanity when we look for it. The second place Micah speaks of hope is in chapter 5, verses 2 through 5a. <clears throat> in this, he talks about the ruler from Bethlehem. The ruler from Bethlehem is going to sound a whole lot like Jesus. 
But remember, this is not pinpointing exactly. Let's read it. As for you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though you are the least significant of Judah's forces, one who is to be a ruler in Israel on my behalf will come out from you. His origin is from remote times, from ancient days. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor gives birth. The rest of his kin will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They will dwell secure because he will surely become great throughout the earth. He will become one of peace. Can you hear that word of hope? That with all of this destruction, and a lot of people use the word doom going on out there, there is this hope and this light. Micah says that this suffering isn't going to last forever. Even the weak, even those from little towns, are worthy of God's grace and mercy. I promise you peace. That's God's will. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of violence, in the midst of poverty. Our relationship with God, that's what brings us the peace. Remembering the promise and the hope and the grace that God showers over us in abundance. And it's faith in that promise that holds us together in the hard times. That's what Micah is saying right now. So then the question becomes, how do we live in difficult times? Times that are hard for each of us personally and for our neighbors and our community and the world. Micah reminds us of that too. In a passage that I think you've probably heard before. Chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Micah is, is asking and sharing that God has always expected the same thing. God has always encouraged us to do the same thing. But we've been pulled away sometimes. The people that Micah is speaking to have been pulled away and are, are talking more to rules and laws and regulation. Again, sounding familiar? With what should I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with entirely burned offerings with year-old calves? Is it sacrifices you want? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with many torrents of oil? Is it wealth? Should I give my oldest child for my crime, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my spirit? And then he says, Micah says, on behalf of God, I've already told you what we need to repair any relationship between you and me and you and me. Here's what it is. He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires from you, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. It's not about the sacrifice or the value of the gift that you give to the temple or even think thinking ever that God is a punisher for transgressions. God is a God of grace and love. And so Micah tells the people, God has told you what is going to repair this breach. It's the same message then as it is now, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. 
these three messages of hope, don't they tell us that God isn't in this alone? Don't they tell us that we're in a partnership with God, that relationship again where the faith we hold in a loving God compels us. That faith compels us to all be prophets, to show God's goodness to the world, to speak truth to power, to relieve suffering, to seek justice for those who are oppressed. To walk humbly with God means that we are God's people, here to help God's people. That's our faith in a loving and gracious God. So moving forward many thousands of years to our current time, what have we learned? Where are we hearing the same message that Micah had, the harsh message to wake up, and the hopeful message that God is with us? Well, one example that I share today is the message that's shared by Reverend Dr. William Barber. You heard from him earlier in the video um, introducing this series. For those that don't know, Reverend Dr. Barber is an ordained pastor in the Disciples of Christ. He is a bishop with the College of Affirming Bishops and Faith, Faith Leaders, which is an accumulation of a number of churches that, that uh, practice inclusive theology and, and a little more progressive theology. He's the founder of the organization Repairers of the Breach, the breach of our relationship with each other, and co-founder of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call to moral revival, repairer of the breach, a moral revival. Thinking that sounds a little Micah-ish, doesn't it? Let me read a few of the poor people's fundamental principles, and you tell me if you think that this qualifies as someone who is speaking truth. We are rooted in a moral analysis based on our deepest religious and constitutional values that demand justice for all. We believe that people should not live or die from poverty in the richest nation ever to exist. Blaming the poor and claiming that the United States does not have an abundance of resources to overcome poverty are false narratives used to perpetrate economic exploitation exclusion, and deep, deep inequality. Whereas the distorted moral narrative of religious nationalism blames poor and oppressed people for our poverty and oppression, our deepest religious and constitutional values insist that the primary moral issues of our day must be how our society treats the poor, those on the margins, women, LGBTQ, workers, immigrants, the disabled, and the sick. Equal protection under the law and the desire for peace, love, and harmony within and among all nations. And finally, we will build up the power of the people and state-based movements to serve as a vehicle for a powerful moral movement in this country and to transform the political, economic, and moral structures of our society. That is truth-telling. Listen again to the intro to the la that last one. We will build up. See, I think that prophetic voices have expanded beyond just one person. 
prophetic voices have expanded to include many, many more people's voices today. We're seeing that many of the same things are being said together, that God never intended us to separate the races, to treat the vulnerable as undeserving, to look the other way and protect what's ours. Micah and Dr. Barber say the same thing. God only asks that we do justice, helping to lift those out of oppression and find ways to keep the oppression from happening again. That we are kind, finding ways to bring hope to the suffering, and that we walk humbly with God. Faith in a loving, compassionate, and gracious God. Dr. Barber's message shares that when we participate in marches to raise awareness of inequality, we are walking humbly with God. When we welcome the stranger who presents itself in the form of a refugee family by setting up their new home with supplies and furniture and meals and continuing that connection, building friendships, we are walking humbly with God. When we show up at a school board meeting, whether to speak or just to support for programs that promote understanding and compassion, we are walking humbly with God. And when we listen to those who are suffering because of unemployment or low wages or no insurance or evictions, and when we show up to make changes that make for a better life for everyone, to view budgets as moral documents that state what we view as important as a society. We are walking humbly with God. One final example that I'll share with you. Last year, our church developed a relationship with some neighboring churches here, St. Luke Lutheran, St. Barnabas Presbyterian, uh, Community Christian Church, which is Disciples of Christ. And what started out as a one-time event which was the Good, Good Friday Stations of the Cross driving tour, has become a collaboration of outreach for many who are suffering in our geographic area. St. Luke's has joined us in serving and helping with Brighter Bites and Network of Community Ministries to deliver food at Dobie Pre-K on Wednesdays. And likewise, we're becoming more involved with St. Luke's in their initiatives by helping with community breakfasts the first and third Saturdays of the month. If you're interested in helping about that, find me outside. And yes, children can help. We were invited to participate initially a few months ago by Joe Swanson, who comes, uh, some of you know, is uh, our community organizer affiliated with Faith in Texas. Arapahoe's partnered with Faith in Texas to help advocate for criminal justice reform, to address affordable housing in Dallas County. We've hosted listening sessions where Joe and others come to hear those who are impacted by systemic injustice that continue to give a message to the poor among us that they are not worthy, not worthy of our time, not worthy of figuring out how to turn compassion into action to stem the causes that keep people in poverty to begin with. So at this first breakfast, there's about eight to ten people. Cliff Clark and I were representatives from Arapahoe. And we were talking about Arapahoe's new book discussion group called uh, Understanding Poverty and how we've duplicated that discussion to gather volunteers to help network volunteers understand the challenges that their clients are going through. 
The next discussion was to focus on the book Evicted, what the challenges of eviction proceedings are, how evictions contribute to keeping families in poverty. And Joe made a statement that helped me understand the meaning of the word profit in our society. Hear what Joe said. He said, those being evicted are the prophets we need to hear from. Walking humbly with God. Friends, who are we listening to and do we really hear them? Do we put ourselves in a position to listen to their pain and to help them out of their suffering? It is my prayer that we listen and understand Micah's message and Dr. Barber's message, and those who are suffering their message, because they're all saying the same thing. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly as a partner in mercy and compassion with God. May it ever be so. Amen. <laughs>